Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 18 of the Average Elite Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we are looking at how to maximize return to play. So these are essentially your nutrition recommendations for the rehabber. So we know how much it sucks getting um, injured or having surgery. Uh, You know you're going to have time away from the sport that you love playing and competing in. So today is all about how can we get you back into your sport, back in the field, back in the track, back in the road as quickly as possible. So a lot of people think that nutrition prep doesn't have a huge role to play in uh, maximizing return to play, but you can be further away from the truth. And today I'm going to show you the key strategies you need to be aware of and implement to make sure you accelerate uh, your rehabilitation program. So therefore, again, you can get back to what you're doing in the quickest and most effective and efficient way possible. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Right, so after you have an injury or surgery, um, there's essentially two phases that you go through. So phase one being the healing and recovery phase. So this is going to be between like days and months in duration. And this is where nutrition is going to have its main impact. So in terms of its wound healing and during immobilization, this is where all the strategies we're going to go today are going to have the best or bang for the buck. And then phase two being more of the return to sport, return to play. And this is you being reintegrated back into training. So essentially the promotion of exercise and activity and the return to full health. So when we get into that phase, it's just your normal sports specific guidelines with regards to your nutrition. But what we're gonna look at today is phase one. And as you can imagine, uh, and if you have become injured before, uh, unfortunately, um, you'll notice that if you don't use it, you will lose it. So this is very much to do with muscle mass loss during injury. So the whole idea behind what we're going to look at today is very much similar to muscle building guidelines. So just to run through a few key kind of points here. So, you know, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So we know that reduced activity and immobilization will lead to muscle wastage and impaired tendon structure and function. So we know that muscle deterioration has been shown within just 36 hours of immobilization with substantial losses within five days. This is potentially due to the muscle um, essentially developing anabolic resistance, and this can happen within 14 days. So anabolic resistance happens in the elderly, but it can also happen when you have limb immobilization. So anabolic resistance is as it kind of says, really, the body is, or the muscle is resistant to anabolism. So it can essentially be defined as a situation where the muscles are unable to respond appropriately to these anabolic stimuli by stimulating muscle protein synthesis. So we know that muscle protein synthesis drives uh, muscle growth and it's the process that we need to have in order to build muscle and retain muscle. So during uh, periods of inactivity, not only you can have accelerated muscle mass loss, but you can know, have a, a reduced ability to actually build muscle. So therefore, you're going to end up in a worse position, which really just highlights the need of these muscle building guidelines we're going to go through today. 
Um, we also know that you're going to get uh, decreased insulin sensitivity and impaired glucose metabolism. You're also going to have impaired metabolic flex flexibility, where metabolic flexibility is essentially the ability to respond or adapt to conditional changes in metabolic demand. You'll see this concept in individuals with obesity or type 2 diabetes, whereas essentially the mechanisms that govern fuel selection between glucose and fatty acids become somewhat impaired, So, which is obviously not going to be ideal for an athlete. Now, when we look at um, definitions of a successful accelerated uh, rehabilitation program, it really originates around the return of strength and function of the injured limbs. And it's therefore been suggested that minimizing atrophy, so muscle loss, can enhance return to train in elite athletes after injury. Now, when you ask anybody about muscle building guidelines, they will very much say, right, let's look at your calories. You need a calorie surplus and so on. And yes, I will agree with them uh, to a certain extent. So when it comes to energy availability or the amount of calories you need per day whilst injured, you know, there's quite a lot that kind of goes into determining this actual figure. So let's just run through the key factors here. So first of all, we know that number one, your activity levels are going to decrease and therefore you'd be burning less calories as a result. Okay, so number two, the healing process. We know that energy expenditure, so again, the amount of calories you burn, increase or can increase between five and, sorry, 15 and 50%, which is quite a large range, depending on the severity of injury. Okay, so you've got one saying you need to have less calories, another one saying you need to have more calories. We know then if you use crutches, if you have used crutches before, it's quite tiring. And we know that then it's going to further increase uh, energy expenditure by two to three fold. So, okay, that's another sort of point for the calorie expenditure side of things. We also know that muscle protein synthesis, i.e. again, the process at which we build and create new muscle tissue is decreased because of essentially no external loading, such as lifting weights or anything like that. Um, you know, it's been, you know, pretty well established that well muscle male expends about 500 calories a day on muscle protein synthesis. So, you know, if you haven't got that external load and MPS is lower, then the calorie demand for that is lower because there's nothing really there to support. So here's the tire kicker. Like we know that during periods of calorie restriction, so energy deficits, it can actually decrease muscle protein synthesis by about 20 to 30%. So you're actually going to accelerate muscle loss by going into a calorie deficit. And this is why perhaps going on a fat loss phase um, in the initial phases of rehabilitation is just a really bad idea. Like, yes, it makes sense to, you know, keep you engaged by setting yourself a goal and so on. But going in a calorie deficit to try and drop body fat when you're trying to rebuild or, you know, really kind of negate muscle mass loss is just the worst idea Ever. So I know a lot of coaches will kind of suggest that to kind of keep the athletes, um, you know, mentally kind of stimulated and have something to focus on. But it really isn't the right goal to chase IMO because you are just going to be extending that rehabilitation period. So if you're going to be thinking about a goal, you might as well make it in line with what you're doing. You know, build muscle, get stronger. Um, perhaps not the best time to start chasing 
um, fat loss phases. Perhaps do this in the return to exercise and return to sports phases. I when you get out of the kind of the nasty nitty gritty um, rehabilitation phase and you're actually doing some form of um, decent well decent amount of loading in the gym. That's when you can perhaps chase that, but not in the initial sort of phases. Um, but then if you're going to go on a um, muscle building phase, which again, I would recommend, we don't have huge calorie surpluses because what's been shown is that if you go on a huge calorie surplus, um, especially when you're, the limbs are immobilized or I guess just referring to one study when they had, um, well, when they tested this on individuals at complete bed rest, it actually accelerated muscle loss, perhaps due to uh, increased sort of systemic inflammation. So what we don't want to do is go in a big calorie deficit. Likewise, we don't want to force feed the process. Not only is that going to increase fat gain uh, or unwanted fat gain, which ideally is not going to be great for power to weight ratio and long-term athletic development, um, but it has the potential to um, increase muscle mass loss if you are at bed rest. So what can we kind of take away from this? Well, when researchers have looked at this, they've come up with a few kind of points. First of all, they said that the magnitude of any decrease in energy expenditure following an injury with muscle immobilization is likely not as great as first thought, which is really quite broad and quite a shitty guideline. However, we can get a little bit more accurate with our prescription here. So what they then go on to say is that energy intakes were targeted at approximately 40 kilocalories per kilogram of body mass. So if you are injured and you're 80 kilos, that's about 3,200 calories you need. And that's a really good starting place. Like whenever we look at calorie goals, we're looking at formulas, um, what, what have you, um, they're very much just a starting point, okay? Like a to 3,200 calories if you're an 80 kilo person. Um, and how do you respond? No, are you losing weight? Are you losing body fat, which is suggesting you're in a calorie deficit? Are you putting on body fat, which is suggesting you're in too much of a calorie surplus? Are you maintaining weight? Are you maintaining body fat, which is, which is suggesting that your calorie intake is probably about right and is supporting uh, both the rehabilitation of that injured site and the growth of new muscle. And this would be a very good starting point um, during the initial periods of your rehabilitation program. What we've got to remember is when training volume and intensity starts to increase, um, you're going to have to eat more calories to support not only um, the recovery of that injured limb, but to also support the extra sort of calorie demands of your rehab program, your gym work, your running, all that kind of stuff. So what you're going to do is stick on that 3,200 calories, and then you start doing a couple of hours of training a day because that's then going to put you in a calorie deficit and you're perhaps um, you know, making yourself more susceptible to losing muscle mass, which is the complete opposite. So you'll just have to be really wise and adjust accordingly so you're always meeting the body's demands as best as possible. Once you're happy with the calorie intake, what we need to look at then is your protein intake because we know the two big players uh, with regards to the muscle, um, muscle mass growth and maintenance are your calories and your protein intake. So I've talked about protein thousands of times, I'm sure, um, perhaps not a thousand, but it's a shitload of times. So 
what we need to be looking at here is just ways to ramp up MOS protein synthesis. Uh, we know that we can stimulate MOS protein synthesis largely through weight training, but during the initial phases, we don't have ex any like external load uh, via like weights or anything like that. You know, you're not squatting straight away if you just had an ACL. You know, realistically, there's no external load, so we need to ramp up MOS protein synthesis via dietary protein. So. Just to sort of give you the cliff notes on this, um, essentially we need to evenly distribute our protein throughout the day. So we know that having around 0.4 grams per kilogram of protein every single meal. So again, if you're 80 kilos, that's around 32 grams of protein, call it 30 to 40 for ballpark figure. And we know that's gonna stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Now we know that muscle protein synthesis is well, it's basically damn regulated and decreased during limit mobilization. So we need to put extra priority on our protein thresholds and every single meal. So what you're going to look to have is about three to four meals per day um, with about 30 to 40 grams of protein. And then you're going to have a higher protein meal or snack before you go to bed of about 0.6 grams uh, per kilo. So that's going to give you roughly like a range of about 1.8 to 2.2 grams uh, per kilogram of protein per day. Now, that is probably like the lower end that I would suggest. There's some evidence to support having even higher protein intakes during periods of like limb immobilization uh, when you are injured to overcome that anabolic resistance. Now, if we look into the research with the elderly, um, it's been shown that they need to have more protein uh, per serving to overcome that anabolic resistance. So we can perhaps um, lend that kind of way of thinking and perhaps use the model we have with, say, a healthy muscle, a, again, 0.4 gram of protein per meal, and then 0.6 before bed. We can probably add a little bit more to that just to make sure. And this very much leads us onto the motto of today's uh, podcast episode. And it's very much just don't be deficient in anything. So we've highlighted not to be deficient in calories, so energy. We've highlighted the need to not be deficient in protein. And then, you know, what about the micros? So the vitamins and minerals, it probably makes sense not to be deficient in any of them either. And we know that nutrient deficiencies can impair the rehabilitation process, you know, from managing inflammation all the way to muscle repair. Now, we don't necessarily suggest going straight into the supplementation side of things, because we always want to follow a food first approach. And you will be able to get all your nutrient requirements through food, but vitamin D, um, because we know that the main source of that is from sun exposure. And if sun exposure isn't uh, available, then we probably need to look at supplementation. But we know things like uh, vitamin A, C, and zinc has an association with wound healing. And then we also need to look at, again, vitamin D, like I just mentioned, and calcium uh, to support bone formation. So we know that there's an association with low vitamin D status with impaired recovery from surgery. Uh, we know with regards to calcium and in sort of female Navy recruits who received about 2,000 milligrams of calcium per day with uh, 800 IU of vitamin D per day had 20% lower incidence of stress fractures than those recruits receiving a placebo. So there's really a nice beneficial um, sort of stacking of nutrients there to really support and promote bone health and bone formation. So this was kind of annoying now with um, quite a few athletes out there 
who are pulling dairy out of their diet, we know it's a really rich source of calcium because they perceive it to be unhealthy for some reason, which um, FYI is pretty much bullshit. Um, so therefore, if they're pulling their main source of calcium out of their diet, then you know ultimately they're going to increase the susceptibility again, injured, which again, prevention is always the best cure. So from a injury prevention perspective or minimize an injury, just don't be deficient in any nutrients. And with regards to the supplementation side of things, there really is no clear evidence for the necessity of super normal micronutrient intakes during recovery from injury, which means that there's no need to actually just pump uh, yourself full of high dose vitamins and minerals to accelerate recovery. You know, a food first approach is most likely going to get you to where you need to go essentially with regards to your rehabilitation requirements. The only thing again we need to look at in a little bit more uh, detail is your vitamin D status and therefore your vitamin D requirements via supplementation. However, there is a supplement that I would suggest for every athlete to use and it's one I absolutely love and that is creatine. To get a full overview of why creatine is beneficial and how to load it properly, check out episode five of the podcast, um, the Athlete Supplement Checklist, um, to see its full um, use there. However, in terms of injury rehabilitation, we know that creatine may be used to counteract muscle mass wastage during immobilization. Nice. Uh, we know then it's used to decrease atrophy. So again, uh, muscle, muscle mass loss during immobilization. We know that it can improve the oxidative capacity of the muscle, improving glucose metabolism. So remember right at the start, we looked at um, the muscle having decreased uh, metabolic flexibility. So as a potential to prevent that from happening. And so what I would suggest is if you are injured and you're not taking creatine, you would load it pretty much straight away via a normal loading phase. So about 0.3 grams per kilogram for five days and then transition into a maintenance dose of about 0.03 grams per kilogram per day. Um, but ideally, you should be taking creatine throughout. There's no need to cycle it. You can just take a maintenance dose every single day. And if you do, unfortunately, happen to get injured, then you've already ticked one of these boxes. There's no urgency to uh, load up on creatine when you are injured. And we know how quickly muscle mass wastage can happen. So think about the last time you were injured and you had quite serious surgery. What's your appetite like straight after? Um, I imagine your desire to sort of eat and drink, uh, things like that is going to be pretty reduced. So what I'd really focus on is that we know that appetite suppressed after surgery. The main sort of focus here is really just getting your calorie intake in, uh, or sorry, so get your adequate calories in and meeting your protein requirements. We don't really want to be focusing on all these after kind of thoughts about, all right, let's throw in some creatine and so on. We just want to be getting creatine in on a continual basis. And then when you have surgery, as soon as you get out, we know the creatine stores from the muscles are going to be pretty high. And we have ticked one of these boxes. And again, we can have a higher priority onto answering the question of, right, you have a suppressed appetite. How can we get calories in you um, when you really don't eat anything? And, you know, as a rule of thumb, if you can't eat anything, uh, you drink your calories. Smoothies are your best friend.
The next uh, nutrient or supplement um, many athletes, including yourself, will look into is omega-3s. So your fish oils, um, you know, you guys absolutely love them. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why, because there isn't a huge amount of research looking at fish oil supplementation uh, in this area. The research is very much uh, unclear. So what the research does show at the moment is that, you know, fish oils and omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. Um, the question is then, then though, is, you know, does this have a meaningful real-world impact? So, you know, does it actually decrease inflammation and improve the rehabilitation process? So, if they, you know, they may be important if inflammation is excessive. However, what we don't want to do is completely abolish inflammation because we're going to need some level of inflammation to support and drive the rehabilitation process. Now, I don't think you're going to abolish inflammation through um, fish oil supplementation. It's more through anti-inflammatory uh, drug use. So same level of thinking, though. Um, knowing this, we know that it, when we do supplement with fish oils, no, it does improve muscle mass retention. It's been shown that eight weeks of supplementation helped overcome anabolic resistance, which again is a very good thing, um, essentially through increasing muscle protein synthesis. We know that four grams per day improves anabolic sensitivity to amino acids in healthy individuals. So, you know, there's no, no negatives to having, you know, fish oil supplementation upwards of say three or four grams per day. Now, the recommendations uh, are about one gram of EPA and DHA combined per day. So I would kind of suggest everyone has that anyway, uh, ideally through, again, a food-first approach by you know, consuming cold water fish, you know, salmon, mackerel, and so on. But if you are injured, I would perhaps think about you know, having you know, more oily fish in your diet with sort of low-dose supplementation, just trying to increase the overall EPA, DHA content of your diet to potentially improve anabolic sensitivity. Um, however, if you don't like oily fish or cold water fish, then you know you would have to supplement uh, anyway. But that's again, the research here is very limited, and research does show there being some utility in fish oil supplementation. And since there's no no negative, other than having perhaps a bit of a fishy breath, um, I would suggest supplementing upwards. Uh, you know, of two, three, four grams per day, as it may have a, a benefit there. The last supplement we're going to look at, um, you might have seen, has a lot of buzz about it lately, and that is collagen or gelatin. So gelatin is a food derivative of collagen, which is the main structural protein of connective tissue. So we know that when you have the amino acid proline that's found within collagen, and you add it to vitamin C, it increases collagen production and synthesis. So just like, uh, say, whey protein, eggs, dairy, meat, fish, and so on, is beneficial to the muscle at increasing muscle protein synthesis, collagen, and especially proline, when added to vitamin C, increases collagen synthesis, so beneficial for connective tissue. And many injuries will surround, you know, ligaments, tendons, cartilage, or bone. So we know that supplementation uh, will improve essentially structure function and you know it can decrease pain also 
the main issue with collagen is essentially the lack of research surrounding it. You know, it's a very new topic and it's still very much in its infancy. So we haven't got a huge amount of data to support um, its benefits. However, there is some nice preliminary evidence to suggest that vitamin C enriched gelatin is going to be beneficial in increasing collagen synthesis. So once you again add um, gelatin or collagen to vitamin C, um, it is going to increase the mechanical properties of the collagen matrix. So the, so the structure of it, so it's going to increase its strength. Uh, so essentially the tensile strength. Now there's the sort of first research came out like only a few years ago and they kind of showed that supplementing with either five grams, 10 grams or 15 grams of gelatin with about 50 milligrams of vitamin C one hour prior to loading um, improved uh, and increased collagen synthesis. So we know that there's some really sort of key points here. Um, one, you know, the 15 grams of gelatin performed better than the 10 grams, performed better than the five. Now this may top out about 15 to 20 grams. And I don't think uh, of, from what I'm aware, there's any benefit to having more. You know, more is not more. So about 15 to 20 grams of collagen or gelatin uh, whatever you fancy, they're both the same, really, uh, just in slightly different formats, are going to be is going to be beneficial. We know that vitamin C, about fifty milligrams, is going to be very important as well to help the uptake of the amino acid proline and uh, hydroxyproline into the connective tissue. I know the timing, so one hour before loading is going to be very beneficial. Also, purely because connective tissue has a very poor blood supply, so therefore we need to load that injured site for the delivery of the amino acids to that connective tissue. Now we can both we can use this from both a prehab and a rehab perspective. So if you are injured, I would definitely suggest you looking at vitamin C enriched gelatin um, an hour before you load because we know that's again can increase collagen synthesis and have the potential to improve uh, rates of recovery. But what we can do as well is use it as a prehab perspective. So if you're doing any prehab-based exercises, um, then yes, take it out before there as a preventative measure to minimize the risk of injury or the risk of re-injury. So we can use it from both perspectives here, okay? And this is why essentially I do with the boys of wasps and what I do with my online coaching clients is that, you know, as I said, um, or as that quote says, um, you know, the greatest ability of an athlete is availability. So last week we covered immune function. Today we're looking at injury rehabilitation, but you know, there's no reason why we can't use all this to, or should we say as a prehab measure as well. So to wrap up today, I'm gonna to leave you with seven key points, or should we call them the seven deadly sins of um, an effective rehabilitation program. So number one, we do not want to be nutrient deficient. We do not want to be energy deficient. We do not want to be eating in calorie excess. We don't overly rely on supplementation. Therefore, we need to follow a food-first approach. Ones I haven't touched on is that we shouldn't be drinking excessively or at all uh, because we know that can blunt muscle brain synthesis, increase inflammation, and so on. Uh, we know we shall not be sleep-deprived, and we know that we shall not abolish inflammation. So guys, I hope you took 
a lot of information and value away from this episode. Um, if you are currently injured or if you know someone who is injured, please share this with them because it will help them massively. And if you want my help with this or if you have any questions, queries or anything like that, just please reach out and drop me an Insta DM message. I'm more than happy to guide you and support you here with this. Um, so guys, until next time, goodbye.